0: So in these verses, we see two different types of warrior, and I think both are important. Joshua and his men were fighting in the valley, a physical war with weapons and swords and spears and slings and whatever weapons they might have had at that time. There was physical warfare going on, but Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they fought atop of the hill with prayer as their weapon, making intercession for them and both were necessary for victory to take place.
1: now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Do in your life, we can get rid of pain and All you got to do is let go and let Well, we welcome those who are with us tonight and also those who are listening on WLGS Radio, those who are watching through social media, a blessing to be with you. Tonight we're looking at Exodus 17 and 18. As I said, the title of this comes from the very last, second to the last verse of chapter 17, where it says there, the Lord is my banner, and I titled the message Yahweh Nisi, and that is the Hebrew for the Lord is my banner, or the Lord is my refuge, as we'll look at tonight. We get into verses 8 through 16 of Exodus 17. We find that there's a physical war that takes place now. And I titled this section, Supporting Those Who Serve. And the physical war is described to us in verses 8 through 10. Now Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us, some men, and go out and fight, with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So this is the first introduction of Joshua in Scripture. And he will go on to be Moses' number two guy. He would serve Moses, as an assistant, later on we'll read of uh, Moses going to the Tabernacle of Meeting to meet with God, and it would tell us that although Moses would leave the Tabernacle of Meeting, Joshua stayed at the Tabernacle day and night. He was always in the presence of God, not in the Tabernacle like Moses, but near. And ultimately we know that Joshua would be one of the twelve spies that he and Caleb would be the only two of the twelve that would try to encourage the people to go into the Promised Land. And of course, Joshua and Caleb were the only two of that generation, of that first generation that came out of Egypt, of the children of Israel. Only Joshua and Caleb were allowed to enter into the Promised Land. Even Moses didn't get to go. And then, of course... Joshua would become the next leader there in Israel when they entered the Promised Land. But his introduction here is as a warrior. I would say that the training that they had was zero. They had been slaves in Egypt. Their people had been slaves for 430 years. From the day that they entered in, the Word of God tells us they entered out on that very same day, 430 years later. They had no training in weaponry or war, and perhaps they had fought among one another. We read about that, where two Jewish men were fighting and Moses tried to intercede in their behalf. They had no training in this, but Joshua had the Word of God through the prophet of God telling him to gather some men and go and battle Amalek. And then Moses promised, when you go out to the battle, I'll go up to the hill. And so he was obedient to that command. Now Amalek, actually a descendant of Abraham through Esau's son, And so Jacob and Esau, the two twins that was born to Isaac, now Amalek, a descendant of Esau. And it tells us in Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18, when Moses is recounting this battle to the second generation before they went into the promised land, Moses said, Deuteronomy 25, 17, and 18, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way, attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at the rear. When you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. So the strategy of Amalek to attack the rear ranks Those who are straggling, those who are tired, those who are weary, they did this because they did not fear God. It reminds us of the importance of staying near to God, especially in difficult times. Sadly, many who had once attended church on a regular basis, some have never returned to the house of God to worship. They might be watching via video, but many have just left the church. Many churches have closed. And I believe perhaps some of this is because though they were at a church prior to the last two years of our lives here in the United States, and then came the 15 days to, you know, slow things down, we're at two years What happened with so many people is that they were actually, though they were near in the church, in the congregation, they may have better been described as those in the rear rank, those stragglers, those who are tired and weary, and they got snatched away by the enemy. So there's spiritual warfare. There's physical warfare. Joshua, go fight fight Amalek, the Amalekites. Go fight them. Physical warfare. Spiritual warfare, verses 11 and 12. So it was when Moses, up on top of that mountain, when he held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Remember, Moses is 80, 81 years old at this point. I'm not that old, and I couldn't hold my hands up that long. In fact, we did that for some reason here at church. After church one day, and somebody had me holding something up, and they just kept talking while I was holding this thing up. It's like, I've had four shoulder surgeries. I can't keep doing this. These arms don't stay up, I need a Aaron and a Hur on both sides if you want to keep this up, because they're not going to stay up in the air that long anymore. But here's the spiritual warfare, and I don't know how Moses figured this out. Hands up, Israel's winning, hands down, Amalek's winning, I don't know if he tested it a couple of times. Am I actually seeing what I'm seeing here? Raise the hands up, yep, battle's in Israel's favor, nope, not anymore. But they figured it out and had Aaron and her help him out, sit him on a rock, lift up his arms that whole evening until the sun went down and Israel prevailed against Amalek. Lifting up holy hands, First Timothy 2.8 says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting and we are to lift up holy hands to the lord to pray without wrath and doubting and this is because in the lifting up our hands to jesus we are acknowledging from whence our help comes from what does the psalmist declare in psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 i will lift up my eyes to the hill from whence comes my help my help comes from the lord who made the heaven and the earth So in these verses, we see two different types of warrior, and I think both are important. Joshua and his men were fighting in the valley, a physical war with weapons and swords and spears and slings and whatever weapons they might have had at that time. There was physical warfare going on, but Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they fought atop of the hill with prayer as their weapon, making intercession for them. And both were necessary for victory to take place. Moses couldn't just pray away the Amalekites. Somebody had to go forth and fight the battle. But those who were fighting the physical battle, they needed the spiritual support. And it tells us, verse 13, So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Although they were victorious over the Amalekites that day, the Amalekites would trouble Israel for many years to come. In fact, some have connected the story of Esther, Hagar, to being a descendant of the Amalekites. We read in verses 14 through 16, God told Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So Amalek has been described as fighting against the flesh. And God says, I'm going to have war from generation to generation, I will blot them out. Joshua, this is my battle. I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That, as I said earlier, the Lord is my banner. It could also be translated, the Lord is my refuge, Yahweh Nisi. This is because God promised to war against the Amalekites from generation to generation until they were utterly defeated and this would take years We know that King Saul would fail when the Lord commanded him to do battle against the Amalekites He would fail in that battle and he would lose his kingdom because of it So the noun nissi, is derived from the Hebrew word Nis which means banner or to flee for refuge And so we have the banner in the sense it could refer to a standard or a pole that we see even today in marching armies and such where they hold their banners. Maybe it's an American flag, a Ukrainian flag, or a Russian flag. Even within the groups, you might have your own insignia, the standard of which you come under. But they combine this Nisi with Yahweh. It's Yahweh is my banner. Yahweh is my refuge. It is God who becomes that banner of encouragement to give us hope. The importance of spiritual and physical warfare, it caused me, in closing out this, I pulled up a story that I put together several years ago when I was reading through the account of Charles Finney. I actually read the book that he wrote about the revivals that took place in the late 1700s, early 1800s here in the United States. It's known as the Great Awakening, where people were saved through the ministry of Charles Finney, with 85% of the people coming to faith under Finney remaining faithful to Jesus Christ. People who might come forward at a Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, Greg Laurie crusade, But what's the percentage of those who remain faithful even a month or a year, not to say 10 years later? Oswald Smith wrote of Finney. He always preached, and so this was an eyewitness account, he always preached with the expectation of seeing the Holy Spirit suddenly poured out. Until this happened, little or nothing was accomplished. But the moment the Spirit fell upon the people, Finney had nothing else to do but point them to the Lamb of God. He was just waiting for the Spirit to do his thing. And when the Spirit poured out, Finney just said, the Lamb of God, this way. Behold, the Lamb of God, we spoke on that this past Sunday, who takes away the sin of the world. And yet the author goes on to describe what happened two or three weeks before Finney came into an area to preach. There was a man named Daniel Nash. Along with few others, he would show up to cover that area in prayer. Often he would rent any place that he could find. Sometimes it would be a cellar in a basement. Not the greatest place to be, but they would cover that area in prayer. For example, in Rochester, New York, where over 100,000 people were soundly converted, Finney stated himself, The key which unlocked heaven was Father Nash, Abel Clary, and other unnamed folk who laid themselves prostrate before God's throne and besought him for a divine outpouring. Some have been called to the battle to be in the valley, to fight with the weapons of warfare, while others have been called to the hilltop to lift up their hands to the Lord in prayer for those who are in the valley. But both are important, like with Moses and Joshua, Aaron and Hur, or Finney and Daniel Nash, whether in the valley or on top of the hill, we're all to engage in the battle where Jesus has already won the victory, but we're to be part of that battle. And may it be our thirst for God would be that we would come to the rock that has been struck, Jesus Christ, that He might provide for us the living water that He has promised us. That all of our hearts would pour rivers of living water. That we would come under the banner of Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my refuge knowing that Jesus Christ on the cross defeated sin, that we might be saved. When we get to Exodus 18, it begins with a family reunion. And we learn in verses 1 through 6 that Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for the children of his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt... Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he has said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro's Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped by the mountain of God, there by Mount Horeb. And it was told Moses, verse 6, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses, we've already learned that he had two sons, but this is the first time that we get both of the names. We've already learned about Gershom in Exodus 2.22, his firstborn son, where he named him, I've been a stranger in the foreign land. He was talking about the land of Midian, where he had spent 40 years of his life, and there, no doubt, had two sons. But now we learn the name of the second son, Eleazar, which means... The God of my father was my help because I've been delivered from the sword of Pharaoh. So they came to the mountain of God. God had said to Moses, if you remember, before Moses ever went back to Egypt the second time, God told him in Exodus 3.12, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt You shall serve me on this mountain. So there at the burning bush, God told Moses, go to Egypt, and here's the sign, that you know that I'm sending you. When you go down to Egypt, fetch the children of Israel, all two million plus of them, and bring them back to the Mount Horeb, then you will know that I have sent you, and you shall serve me on this mountain. Moses is there at the mountain now. And that must have been a joy for him, to be there at the mountain with the children of Israel, knowing that God had fulfilled every promise that he had made to him. But Jethro observed Moses, and he learned of what God had done in Egypt. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, verses 7 through 12. And Moses bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being. And they went into the tents. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that they have come upon them on the way and how the Lord delivered them. So he told them about everything, about all the plagues in Egypt and then after they left Egypt, the Red Sea crossing, how the Egyptians chased them down, how God destroyed Egypt there in the Red Sea how they hungered for food and how God provided the manna. In fact, if Jethro showed up in the evening, Moses could have simply said, just wait until the morning. Meet me here just after the sun comes up and I'll show you what I'm talking about. All these things took place. Jethro, verse 9, rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before the Lord. So they had communion. But the words of Jethro, the Egyptians had behaved proudly. They worshipped many other gods. And God judged all these other gods that they worshipped through the plagues. In fact, God said so in Exodus twelve twelve. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about this, he said, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. They were proud. Proverbs sixteen five tells us, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Everyone proud in the heart, an abomination to the Lord. So he offered this sacrifice to the Lord, a burnt offering. It means when you do a burnt offering, it's about a total consecration to the Lord. It's kind of like giving your all to God. That sacrifice, a burnt offering, other offerings were offered. Aaron came with the leaders of Israel, and he, Moses, the leaders of Israel, and Jethro, fellowshiped together before the Lord. They had communion with one another. Then the next day, Jethro, he observed Moses. I pray, Lord, for faithful men and women who are willing to stand before you, spiritual men and women who are willing to stand in their faith, Before you, for their families, for their churches, for this nation. To help others to grow in their faith. That they might know the laws and the statutes of God. That they might know the promise of God that's fulfilled through Christ Jesus our Lord. That they might be saved. But also, Lord, as believers, that we might know how we should walk and the work that we should do. These things are so important, where so many are confused today. But I pray, Father, that you would pour out your Spirit. Lord Jesus, you said, if anyone is thirsty today, let them come unto you and drink. And out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. And John would make commentary of that passage from John chapter 7, saying, This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. Father, we need an outpouring of your Spirit today. We thank you for these lessons, Lord. We pray a blessing upon us. Lord Jesus, come. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit.